My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Hello and welcome back to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. So glad to have you here with us once again this week. How are you doing? I hope uh, I hope the answer is well. I'm doing okay. I've uh, you know it's been weird. It's been a weird time right now. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of springtime and I really love the sense that comes with it, particularly here where I'm at in the, uh, the Southwest. Um, you know. It's kind of this last gasp of, uh, of cool air before we settle into the pretty oppressive heat. Um, and there's like a sense of renewal that comes uh, with this time of year that really means a lot to me and I draw on it. Um, but you know, uh, there are always ups and downs and uh, I've had some strange stuff going on. I lost a, a childhood friend a couple weeks back which uh, I, I might talk about that more a little bit next week because I found out the news right before I recorded next week's conversation. Uh, but before we get into next week's conversation, we got to get into this week's conversation, right? And it's a great one with the writer and musician Sasha Freire Jones. Uh, I have been a big fan of, of uh, SFJ's work for a long time. I think I got hip to his stuff when he was writing for The New Yorker. And it was at a time when I was really trying to figure out what it was that made uh, for great music writing. And uh, his work was an example, you know, for me, along with uh, with uh, guests, uh, past guest Amanda Petrushic, who's a, a huge, huge favorite of mine. Uh, Sasha's work really helped to illuminate the emotional and spiritual corners of music. He wasn't just writing, uh, isn't just writing about how, you know, an artist sounds, uh, but also about how they feel, and uh, that is a, is really a crucial thing. And I uh, I appreciate that about his work very much. Uh, he's launched an, a great Substack, um, like so many writers. That's you know where you can find him these days. And I highly recommend signing up for the the SFJ newsletter. Uh, it's a great thing each week. It always inspires uh, me to check out new stuff, and also. Uh, you know, just like his great work for The New Yorker uh, back in the day, it, it really inspires me to dig deep and think, think about what I am listening to. Uh, and it was a, a real pleasure to speak with him. Uh, Sasha is also a musician and has been for a long time. Uh, we've had his bandmate Melvin Gibbs here on Transmission, his bandmate in the group Body Meta on. And uh, so we talk a little bit about about guitars. He's also got a great record under the, uh, the name Calvinist and was a member of the band Ooey, um, whose work I, had, uh, I hadn't caught the first time around uh, back in the, the, the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I hadn't really caught that stuff, um, but I've been spending a lot of time with it uh, since this talk, and it rules. It's great stuff. And so uh, we, we talk a little bit about, we talk a little bit about all that stuff. You know, what we ended up talking about more than anything was sort of... Um, I think Sasha's uh, recovery and and his spiritual outlook and uh, and about what it means to be a person who aspires to kindness, um, especially on the internet, where 
we are not always inspired or uh, uh, celebrated for kindness, where very often it's the uh, the opposite that gets attention, and um, and that makes sense, right? I mean, in in a in a forum where there's a lot of people talking, the louder voices are obviously uh, going to be the ones that that stick out, and uh, I think like. Uh, like a lot of folks, Sasha and I found ourselves sort of um, wondering, like, what is the what is the point of this? What is the point of these forums that we've that we've created that encourage uh, not maybe our best the best versions of ourselves? But despite that, all that, despite the sort of heaviness that I am uh, implying in the talk, it was a lot of fun, and and we were goofing around a lot, and I really think that. You're going to enjoy this conversation. Before we get into it, though, I want to say if you if you like transmissions, uh, and I love hearing from those of you who do, um, so thank you for the kind notes and the uh, suggestions and the the thoughts and uh, um, constructive criticisms. It all means a lot to me. Keep them coming. But if you dig transmissions and you want us to keep making it, um, and I want to keep making it. Uh, you can you can really help us out by uh, writing a rating or uh, uh, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That's what I'm trying to say right now. Uh, you can leave a five star rating if you want, but those reviews really help. Um, and uh, and if you want to take your support even further, Aquarium Drunkard is on Patreon, and uh, that's how we keep the the servers humming and the lights on, as it were. So if you dig transmissions and you want to help us keep making it, you can head over to Patreon and pledge your support and get access to some cool bonus audio and uh, some other stuff. So uh, all those plugs out of the way, uh, let's get into my conversation with Sasha Freer-Jones. I hope you enjoy it. We do, of course, end up talking about you too because I can't stop talking to guests about you too, specifically 90s era you too. So um, Bono, Edge, uh, uh, Adam, and Larry, if you are listening and you want to come on and talk about uh, just Akchung Baby through Pop, nothing nothing before or after uh, right now, um, it's, a, it's a welcome, you have an open invite. <laughs> All right, let's get into this conversation. Here I am with Sasha Freire-Jones. You're listening to Transmissions. We're part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. And we're so glad to have you here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for carving time out of your no doubt overworked and busy um, life to spend some time listening to a conversation. Um, thanks for thanks for being here. I appreciate you very much, and uh, your support means a whole bunch to us. So here's the conversation. Uh, I'll talk with you a little bit more on the other side. Let's get into it. Hey, Transmissions listeners, are you a musical artist or in a band and you're just not sure how to get started sharing your music with the world? I want to tell you about DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun, and uh, here's the important part, it makes it easy. With unlimited uploads and artists like yourself keeping 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all the major streaming services. 
DistroKid has just launched a new iPhone app, which allows you to upload your tunes, earn royalties, check your streaming stats, and add lyrics, credits, and metadata. Everything you need to do to get your music out there and resonating with listeners around the world. Head over to distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard to get started now. Transmissions listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year's membership. That's distrokid.com backslash VIP backslash Aquarium Drunkard. Head over to DistroKid and get your sounds shared with your listeners. Hey, dude. What's up, man? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Are you in uh, LA? Where for, are you uh, I'm in Phoenix, actually. Oh, Phoenix. Yeah, so Aquarium Drunkard, based in LA, but I, a part of Aquarium mm-hmm. Drunkard, am based in Arizona. Sweet. I don't. Who started Aquarium Drunkard? Uh, Justin Gage started Aquarium Drunkard. He's the 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 guy in charge. He hosts the Sirius XMU show, right. the Aquarium Drunkard show. He started in two thousand five. <laughs> uh, you know, during the blog, the blogs, the blogs. blogs. Yes, indeed. You get some sick guitars back there. <clears throat> oh, thank you. That's a. It's a little that the one that's sort of visible the red one yeah. is a, a a parts caster that my brother made for me um, oh that's like my uh my main guitar that i did the the actually no the record was done with with my stepdaughter's very cheap uh imitation squire telly whatever this is a uh, the one i use now, i use now which i bought with crypto money um you bought you bought that with crypto money it's a funny story that's it is a parts caster also it's been relicked to look old which i think is a little problematic but um i just love how it sounds um so, yeah. so wait when when you said that um the record was made with uh do you mean the body the body meta record yeah that one was made with uh my wife who just went in the other room her eldest piper uh when i got here in 2017 she had and still has she's at oberlin now but she has a, a just a black and white squire japanese telly or is it a, yeah. or no is it a japanese telly or a squire i don't remember um which is cheap but it plays really easily actually plays more easily than matt does um and that's when yeah. i started transposing not transposing i just started playing stuff that i've been writing before in la onto that and I just sat around playing those parts for two or three years before Greg and Melvin and I decided to play. And then yeah. in the, during the pandemic, the story is much funnier and better. <laughs> I worked for uh, Thank you. a woman who I'm still very close with, Maria Bustillo. She had a thing called Popula. It didn't last very long. Um, I worked for her there. And uh, so a couple of years after it folded, she said, I, I, dude, I don't understand this at all, but there was some kind of exchange and we had been airdropped 400 Uniswap tokens. Okay. So she tells okay. me this and I'm like, why did someone give these to, like, I still don't understand why we were, the original employees were given these things. And I almost just archived the email and said like, thank you. And she said, it's like around 12 grand. I said, what the fuck? And I looked, I looked at something online and it said $30, which I was like, I don't like the fees are going to be $12. I barely understand how to go use Coinbase to get money out of it. I'm not a crypto person. 
I and 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 happily for everyone else, I don't even have any opinions. I just yeah don't know. Blockchain sounds cool. Probably the way of the world is such that you know. The, the minute the Securities Commission started looking at this stuff, you know, the money people aren't going to give up the money. I don't know why anybody thinks that's going to change now. Sorry. Um, but anyway, yeah. okay. there were 30 <laughs> apiece. I'm, I'm being very reductive and silly because. No, I get it. I agree. I, I, think. I mean, it's very simple. If it's if it's a money thing, there's not a, there's not going to be an underground money thing. Sorry, children. Not, not They're not a fan of that. Yeah, they don't like that. And, and they're and they're pretty they're pretty firm on that one. If there's anything, the big guy. If we're positing the big guy, if there's anything he's most excited about, it's making sure that there's not an underground money thing. So it's not going to happen. But anyway, $30 a pop. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, 400 times 30, that is 12,000. And I did all the Coinbase thingies and waited around. And I actually ended up with close to $12,000. Blew my mind. Almost all of it went to the wow. New York State tax uh, bill. But I had enough left over to buy a guitar. So I went down to the Rivington guitar shop and I was a little... A little too excited. I kind of wanted to walk, walk out with something, which is not a good way to buy a guitar. But anyway, I bought that, which a guy named Greg Adams. Does that sound right? Uh, he's not like, he's a, just a guy around in the area. Um, and he, I played a bunch of vintage ones and I, then I played this one and I love, it sounds like a piano when I play it through my box. And uh, Nice. Anyway, long story there, but I figured I'd jump right in since you, yeah, I'm borrowing a friend's Vox. You can see right there. Oh, you got the you got the the bigger one. I've just got the single speaker one. That's the two speaker one. Yeah, that's my. This is my buddy Zach's Vox. Uh, my my. I have a basement. It's in the uh, in the shop right now. So nice. I had to. Uh, I I needed something to play a uh, uh, an outdoor gig, which was a cool thing oh, to do uh, after, you know, after the. the non gigs of oh, the last uh awesome. couple of years where'd you play so it we played at a little a little uh like kind of a courtyard where there's a coffee shop and a beer uh a bar oh, and, nice. and an ice cream shop just in this little grand avenue here in phoenix it was it was a really it was a really nice night actually i had a great a great time and i really loved the way that vox sounds so when was this um this was last week actually last friday oh sweet What's the name of the the band? Yeah. <laughs> I I told myself once. I think we've started our podcast interview. By the way, Sasha, I hope that's okay. okay. Sure. I told I told myself I never want to talk about my band on the podcast, but I think you know I I sort of semi have. The band is called Kitty Moto. Um, How do I spell it's that? A, it's a, a K I T I M O T O. Okay. Kirimoto. It's it's a it's a Swahili term for a, a pork dish. It means hot seat. Okay. That so like when a... you're sitting in the hot when you're sitting in the hot seat, you know. Nice. It's it time time is of importance. So um, you got to be in the moment. Something that something I really liked, and it's funny. We we have a record that's going to come out at some point. Um, Sweet. And we we panned the guitars left and right, which you did on the Body Meta record as well. I, I really I really like that approach. Yeah, Matt, who mixed and kind of assembled the record with sort of with us, but he, he did a lot of it himself. We handed him what we thought the songs were, and he um, he made a bunch of decisions, basically all of which we agreed with. Um, there was very little argy-bargy. There was some stuff about, you know, I wanted it to sound really supernatural, and then he was like, well, I've added a little bit of reverb here and there. It's a classic yeah. mixing thing where he said he'd done something, 
me with the big head thinking he knows better is like, well, I don't like it. And then he took it off. And I was like, wait, I did like it. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> and it was, it was much subtler yeah. than I thought it was. I was like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Matt's amazing. The new, I don't know what the new, but the new record was he, because we have like four albums worth of stuff and I don't know what to. Oh, cool. Um, and I don't, you know, if we hand it all to him, it's going to take a bunch of decisions. But anyway, he made that um, left, right panning decision, which at first I was a little freaked out by. And then I thought I uh, I got used to it. And then it became, I think over time, especially if you listen to the album a bunch of times, it's helpful if you want to, you know, distinguish between me and Gray. Not that we're very similar at all, but if you want to really follow a part. Um, yeah. I, it makes that a little, little bit more helpful. And if you're listening ambiently, it doesn't necessarily, I wanted it to be a big ball of sound, a unified thing. Mm -hmm. And I think if you, if you are experiencing it, it's, it's that sort of coagulation happens naturally. So it's okay. Cause I was really just afraid of like, I don't want to be listening to something that feels like a board tape where you're just listening to four individual people. Um, right. But right. He, he did it in such a way that that did not happen. And I love, uh, well, I love, I love how it sounds now and actually having a little bit of distance on it and no longer thinking obsessively about all the mistakes I can really, you know, I can enjoy it and, and not keep just listening to all the places where I fuck up. Yeah. Well, I really enjoy that record. I had Melvin on last year and when we talked a little bit about it and he was, I mean, obviously such a mind blowing person to talk, talk with. And, and I'm, I'm really excited same. to have. I I really I, I dug it so much and 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 I was excited to when we uh you know I I've been reading your work for a very long time um and it's meant an awful lot to me very very um thank you crucial crucial stuff um thank you you know when you, when you're trying to figure out how to be a, a music writer you know you just read other people and you just you you see what they do and you see what they take note of and uh but. You know, so I didn't actually encounter your work as a, a musician until more recently, and then have been able to sort of like explore that that stream of your output as well. And um, and it's 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 really cool. Have you always have you always been uh, has have, have have you done both at the same time for for most of your career? Yeah, I mean it it uh, depends how you count, but I started both really young. Um, like I was writing plays when I was a teenager. That's all I, I was going to do. I won, a, I won a, a, a contest or a festival prize, whatever, when I was 15. So I was like, I'm going to go to theater. Didn't work out. Uh, didn't find the community I wanted. So then I wanted to film and semiotics. But the whole time, the entire time, I was trying to form a band. And people, other yeah. people I knew in high school had bands, but I could not get my way into one. And, uh, and then finally in college, I was in a band called Dolores, and that worked pretty well. And that's when, like, it was 87 or so, I dropped out and was like, okay, I'm going to be in a band. And so, you know, in a couple of years, I'd formed Uwe, and then that was that was the plan. I was just going to be in the band. Um, so at that point, I think I'd stopped writing anything. I wasn't writing theory or poetry or drama or anything. I was just in the band. And I had no intention of going back, but then a woman who used to live around here, I'm in the East Village, uh, Ann Marlowe asked me to write for her zine. And then that's what started it. And she had no idea if I could even write, but she gambled. And then the writing came back. And, you know, I never, 
I still have some pretty mixed feelings about being called a music critic or being part of that community. Um, but it's been good to me and I'm very grateful for all that it's done. And it's nice to have a way to pay the bills. And I don't really only write about music now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mm -hmm. let's, let's, I'd love to hear a little bit about those mixed feelings. Uh, is is it the term critics specifically? Because I always gravitated towards the term. I liked the term music writer when I was when I was first getting started, especially because I didn't feel like I was always writing from a purely critical place. You know, which is not to say you know yeah. criticisms weren't part of it, but you know what I mean. Sure. Like that. That. Uh, I mean, critique is a really important word. I think critic and criticism and critique are all very. Um, important ideas and they're good words i'm so, i'm certainly not afraid of being critical a different word again um it's more that there's a a culture within especially music critics that's extremely obsessed with ranking and a kind of like like small penis energy kind of like here's my list you know i've yeah. i can't i've never even listened to the velvets and like i think that i sort of early on was surprised by that and then internalized some of it was like, okay, well, I'm going to fight these fucking ridiculous battles too, because I'm supposed to. Um, and it's not like, you know, our perceptions of our own character defects are always a little bit more exaggerated than they really are. So I don't think I did anything that I'm like, I, I didn't write a book of the top 100 fucking, you know, dub records of all time. Like I didn't do anything like that, but I got into a mentality where I was thinking not for myself and for what the work needed, but of like, what does this community do? Not all the time. And mostly, yeah. mostly I ignored it, but there's, there's a very, there's a reason people hate critics. And I don't think it's because of the writing itself. I mean, I, I used to say writer and musician, cause I'm just a writer. I don't, you know, I'm trying to, I think of it as reporting and ideas. I have to report mm -hmm. accurately and I've worked, worked really hard on making my reporting better every day. You know, then there are the ideas and the sentences and if they all come together, fine. And to me, that's, I don't give a shit really if it's criticism, and especially now I feel less and less interested in that sort of yearly consensus battle where a bunch of people sort of stroke each other and like write about fucking big thief and, and not that i have anything against big thief but like there will be a band that everybody talks about and then you talk about it because everyone's talking about it then you forget to be open to the fact that what you may really love is a maria callas record or you really love the new doja single but you're afraid to write about that because that's not your beat and that's the kind of shit about criticism and then you know becoming it having that be my job you know, I can't yeah. be a hip. I can't be a hypocrite yeah. and say like I can't take the check and be like, well, I'm not. I'm not a pop critic. It's like I, I am. I was. Uh, you know, it's a yeah. gig. A gig that I took and tried to work with, and for almost eleven years, I really wanted to make it the best version of that thing it could be. But I ended up, for sort of spiritual and psychic reasons, just not thinking that I could do that and and do it well. And I also wonder if anyone can go into this particular sort of coliseum of of weirdo gladiators and come out anything other than like sort of cynical and, and burnt out and you know it's funny thinking like anthony fantano who definitely people were shitting on from day one there's you know this guy on youtube he's not like us i'm sure i yeah. said something rude about anthony at one point and it's funny watching him over time i see him mostly on tiktok I think he has an incredibly good sense of humor about himself. I think he's extremely like, he like wades into the, like the pit of online discourse and like maintains his equanimity, which I think is remarkable. Um, yeah, I don't, like get, the way it. He I don't get it at all. 
<laughs> the way that he talks is sort of like a parody of a music critic, but he's generally pretty fair and kind of like says stuff that makes sense to me. And like, I think the fact that he became such a big music critic, I think there are a bunch of critics who think that's like the sign of the apocalypse. And I look at it and I say, no, actually, this is a really healthy sign that this guy is popular and you with your cranky little fucking avant noise list isn't big is because like he doesn't seem like a complete fucking asshole. And I think that's really like something that people need to take into account is that whatever the topic, nobody wants to listen to some opinionated prick. And even if he's a little bit opinionated, I think he's incredibly good natured and nobody ever brings up like the personality of the person they're listening to. But I think people don't want to listen to somebody that they think is a total creep. You know, they want to listen to somebody who feels, you know, think about how the sense of relief and sort of nourishment people feel when they pick up Eileen Miles or when they pick up a new Mike Davis piece or, you know, or they listen to, they read James Baldwin, like you're going to listen to how a person is. And there's no, no kind of writing that is different from that. So if, if someone goes on YouTube yeah. and offers more of themselves, like you can see more of a person, you see how they behave. There's nothing to hide behind. I think that's, and in some ways, I think that's a higher form of criticism because you're really, you're really putting it out there and you're going to get to, to, to sort of hold your ground and, and make a name in that space. I mean, I think there should just be more people like that. Like there's that music guy, Adam Neely, who explains all of that musicology stuff. I think he's brilliant. Like that stuff, yeah, is, that yeah. stuff is really, really important. And honestly, if you said to me like, okay, for the next five years, you know, you can either go on YouTube or you can read music criticism written, but you can't do one or the other. I mean, you can only pick one. I might just pick YouTube because, or, or TikTok, or yeah. just because the kind of person who is going to brave that world. Um, I don't know. There's something about it. I don't know how I ended up now ranking kinds of music criticism after I said, I didn't like ranking. So that's on me. That's my, no, it's I've walked myself into you, a point that I had no intention of making, which I don't even entirely believe, but anyway, I, it's, I, it's, res I respect, I respect where you're coming from. I want to say, I want to say that one, um, having loved your writing for a long time it was it was when i started it engaging with your tiktok that i realized i had to have you on the podcast because <laughs> one you have a, a a beautiful speaking voice you oh, have a you. very very nice voice and and so it's a it's a very very enjoyable thing to listen to two on the topic of you know say the needle drop and anthony fantano I also, I, I mean, I kind of didn't, I kind of didn't really have any opinion about Anthony Fantano for a very long time, mm -hmm. um, because I just didn't, I didn't engage with it. And the truth is, I, I, I didn't I either. Try, to, be, to be clear, I didn't for a long time either. I try, I try, and I actually, and I actually still don't watch his thing all the time. Um, but uh, last fall, I, um, I wrote a piece about Lou Reed and Metallica uh, for Stereo Gum, and it mm -hmm. was a, a lot of fun to write it. And and he he shared it and um and and followed me on Twitter and I was like okay so he's actually a great guy I think <laughs> I think he must be the best um, I, I I say that only half our joking, the but power of the ego no we everybody wants that click everybody wants that follow like and we, subscribe we 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 do that right but but I but you know him him engaging him actually being like him you know reaching out in the way that we now can reach out online and in, in, right. in, and 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 kind of like recognizing and 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 then also signal boosting something I'd written, you know, it, it of course caused me to go back and think, okay, you know, and here's something that I find really interesting about him, and I think it's something that I I have found myself dwelling on more and more and more uh, with this show in mind is that I really love that 
people pay attention to him, right. not just other music critics. It seems like actual people, people who like music, right. want to want to engage with what this guy's doing. And and I don't I, similar to you, the the ranking thing follows. You know, Aquarium Junkard's year end list. We've never ranked it because it's not it's not. Um, that that really goes against the way I think we think about music, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I think last year you didn't even you didn't even bother putting out a list, right? Is that is that correct? At some point in the last few years, I changed. I was I had a, a for ten years or so, maybe a little less, eight or nine. I w- I had this massive Google uh, sheet spreadsheet that I would put everything into as the year went along. Um, and it wasn't it wasn't ranked, although I made these funny colors for which were like, yeah, you know, I listened to more. And it was fun to do, but people were just taking a little bit more than they were leaving, if you know what I mean. And so I was like, well, fuck that. <laughs> I took I took them all offline and and I sort of, you know, because the part where we share and we we educate and we, you know, celebrate is so important. So the lists are very helpful for that. So it's not like I don't, right. you know, because I can't write a full essay about every single record I love. Like I'm getting my next newsletter. Possible next newsletter together, and I've got Vegan and Antoge and uh, Geo Rip and a bunch of other new stuff. Um, I think I said Antoge wrong. Antoge, Antoge. Um, and like I want to, you know, I want to spit out these names and and let people listen because it may be years before I have something to say about any of it. And so that that, that stuff is very important for people. And I'm like anybody else at the end of the year. I try to mulch it all, like put it all in one place and I go through it and do my, all my OCD type shit. And, and, you know, uh, but I think, I think I, I don't remember what I did last year. I think I'm always trying to share yeah. something as, I mean, I'm obsessed with sort of the accuracy of anything I write. Like, is it true to my experience? Is it true to what I think is happening in this music or whatever I'm writing about? And like, I wanted to, yeah. after, after making a point of like, I'm not going to rank anything. I felt like I had to say at some point, but, that the Lorraine record was for me, it, it was different. Um, I think Gia said the same thing. Like I heard that record. I was sitting at this, I've been sitting at this table for two years. Like I was sitting at this table <laughs> and I was sitting here with my wife as I often am. And and it came on in the beginning of uh, Fatigue, that album is, it's got these little uh, bits of digital black. So it sounds like the record isn't working which is for, I use that mesh Wi-Fi, like communist Wi-Fi, and it, it goes out during the rain. So I was like, oh man, the Wi-Fi is dropping. And I restarted the album like seven times before I decided to just look at the waveform. And I was like, oh no, no, this is how the record goes. And then yeah. that sort of got me paying better attention and not sort of backgrounding it. And then when the album went on, like 10 or 20 minutes in, I said, well, this is it. This is one of those records that like, it feels like this year, it feels like somebody just like, just channeled all this stuff I can't even really define, but like it's the record yeah. of right now. It's the album of this year in a way that other records aren't. So in a way, although I hate the idea of there being an album of the year, it was sort of important to say, okay, well, while I listened to the record in the, in the moment, I was thinking it had album of the year vibes in a way that if you go back to say, I mean, this just seems like an obvious thing, but it's still, you know, what's going on by Marvin Gaye has that yeah. feeling of i mean i was three or four at the time but when i when i first listened to it in my teens i was like shit this is the most 1971 record i've ever heard or whatever year it is 70 yeah like there are some records that really do just somehow just shovel a whole bunch of shit into one place and and give you a, f- a sense of fullness so 
very, very long story short, like sometimes saying things like album of the year or, you know, this is more something than another is useful because in the, in the case of that record, it was engaged with more of our existence than for me, the way I heard it, I was like, okay, well, if you drop, yeah. if you dropped here from another planet and you've only got a day, you should probably listen to this record before you go back to your planet. Right. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which is different than I ranking listened... it. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't spent time with the Lorraine record. So I now feel like I like, that's what I'm going to do this afternoon after I finish. You're going to have reviews a, for this. You're going to have a beautiful day. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. I know what you mean, though. I mean, obviously, I think of, you know, in a lot of ways, what's going on, you know, like I. Uh, in 2016, following the the election, I, I, I listened to what's going on for a couple of weeks in this like weird way of sort of like uh, trying to spiritually orient myself in this zone that like that this this intensity that I'm feeling, this fear that I'm feeling, this uh, this uh, uncertainty, uh, we have always felt it. We always will feel it. It's a part of what we do, you know. And so, art that, in some way, can process or or, or provide a a backdrop, you know, with which to sort of examine all that stuff. It's it's really 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 important, you know, and it's and it's crucial. And I guess, I guess that is why. I guess that that is why we need to make lists. We need to qu quantify and say. But I mean, every time I've done something for Pitchfork, you know, which is always a, a great thing and really like something I enjoy, I I struggle with that number thing, man. I can't put a number on stuff. I feel so goofy, you know, trying to assign it's, a number to a thing. It's tough. The uh, I the only experience I have with that uh, kind of thing was in Spin in the '90s. Um, now they didn't have uh, uh, they only didn't they didn't have the extra decimal points so you know it would be you know five yeah. six seven eight nine ten and uh it was very common for everything to end up at seven so i'd hand in something and i'd be like again i didn't feel particularly good about it but i was okay it's not completely successful let's say six and then it would be bumped up to seven which is massively different or i would get really excited and i'd say oh this jizza record oh this is an eight and then it would come down to like seven and it was like jesus and it, the whole thing felt so goofy because at, you know as you know or as anyone knows you the minute you say that grade you're like this is an approximation of how i feel right now and and over time i ended up thinking that actually it's a, a terrible terrible idea to have these grades at all and i feel that very 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 strongly not because you're going to ruin some someone's life by giving them in fact, it's not about the, the bands that you're grading because they'll be fine. I mean, if you gave, you know, if you gave Beyonce a self-titled record a zero, would that have made any difference? No. If you gave... I doubt Radio, it, yeah. you gave Radiohead's Amnesiac a zero, would that make any difference? No. Um, but that that it encourages a kind of thinking and perception, I think, is, is really not a minor bad thing. And I think it is a major bad thing. As, as a way of of receiving information and engaging with it emotionally and spiritually i think it's just a fucking awful idea and i would love if pitchfork just woke up one day and was like you know what like enough and, and we're gonna get rid of these ratings because they have a lot of fantastic writing um but i don't oh, like, yeah, i'm not I gonna mean, i'm not gonna get out my soapbox like that's whatever lots of people have said well that. Uh, yeah 
no no soapboxing required because I you know and again I I I don't even mean to necessarily put a value judgment and I just the I the I think about you know I was just listening to um I was just listening to this podcast called Weird Studies I'm a big fan of this Weird Studies podcast and it's these two guys um, who are super smart so much smarter than me it's not even funny and I, the, and I I love who are that the fellas uh, Phil Ford and JF Martell it's a, like a like a scholar and a, and a filmmaker cool and they uh right and it down. I was oh yeah yeah great you should I, I was just listening to their episode about um games and and the spirit of play you know and uh this is my weird circuitous way of, of trying to get around to it where it's like when i have to put a number on on a, a something or i have to come up with a number or suggest a number um it it starts to get into sports sports territory for me you know what i mean or something like that where it's like it requires a kind of objectivity that i say this as somebody who has written and critically taken things into account but I, it's still the the spirit of play and the spirit of sports aren't the exact same thing. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. one of them is is more uh, ephemeral. It's more in it's more in the it. When you're playing, it's just so that you can j can play. And then when you're grading or or scoring points, that's a whole different thing. So I guess this is but this has been a, a pretty unsuccessful uh, attempt on my part to illustrate what I'm actually saying, but I, th I hope that it's kind of coming through a little bit, right? Like I don't, mm -hmm. no, I don't, I... when, when, when a record, when a record rules, it's not cause it's winning over another record. It's because some alchemical process is taking place in my head and the artist has done something that is weird and maybe, special in a way that i can't even put my finger on where it connects across some vast distance you know and to me that's what i try to write about now more so than than anything else and it's something that i've always felt is sort of there in in your work which isn't to say that you don't take in the critical and historical and and all the different frameworks that inform the way we perceive something but it, it always felt like that was something there that you were you were trying to you bring enough of you to the table to have a sense of of not knowing you, but, but yeah. certainly, I think I don't know. Thank you. I mean, other people have said that. I, I think there's a very deliberate thing there, which is that you know the only thing I can report on with any accuracy is my consciousness, and yeah. I think ironically for me, I won't speak for anyone else, that I I end up inching into that best of all time ranking talk when I'm trying to convey the sort of unique quality of an experience or my enthusiasm or my love or how profound the the experience of a certain piece of music or a book or whatever it is i i want to let to get someone to listen to get someone to take me seriously i want to say like more than anything ever in the history of anything because i'm excited and, and that language feels like it would help but then you know once it's on the page you realize it's not it's not going to do for you what you want um and it, and it ends up being part of this you know diet diabolical you know world of of lists and sort of opinions without thinking and without feeling and without reflection and that's not something i want to encourage so i've become a little yeah. i've become a little bit of a you know all the all the most passionate 
thinkers are sort of reformed. Like you, you, you know, the, the, the smoker who has quit, like, like my dad used to hate dramatically the hate, the smell of cigarette smoke after he quit it, after he quit. Um, he'd be very, yeah. very dramatic about smokers near us. And I'd be like, dad, come on. It's, it's New York. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was the eighties. Um, but yeah. anyway, not to, not to get caught on that particular, but I'm glad that that quality comes through. So anybody who's listening now can can could could scroll through my twitter feed and notice that i say all timer like all the time i'm constantly oh, so do saying I. so do I. <laughs> this this album this album's an all timer you know and it's like man dude you might abuse the term a little too much right it's all all timers but that is really how i feel in the moment most of the time when i t- when i tweet it you know what i mean i think like, there was a period on twitter I, several years ago with my old account where for a year or two I was mocking myself and saying, I forget what the exact wording, but I was like, this is the best album of all time. Um, in some ways to acknowledge what exactly what you just said, that in the moment of in the moment of of that elevation of like you've just listened to, I don't know, what did I what did I just listen to that made me feel that way? Um we listened to uh the I mean a big album, but timeless john abercrombie and which we've listened to a lot and uh mm-hmm. we listened all the mm-hmm. way through the whole thing and i i i said something like that i was like god that really is just the best album ever and i realized that i'd said that you know three times in the course of a day just because we happen to be listening to some really good stuff but um yeah when yeah. When, when you hear some a, a group of people really just like knock it completely out of the park it's 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 unclear it's hard to figure out what to say and you want to do justice to the moment and then you end up ironically using the most impoverished language possible but hey everyone's trying we are all trying aren't we yeah everybody I, I had that everyone's hurting and everyone is trying that's how i begin my day is is that a real like uh, affirmation or, or statement that you say to yourself yeah every day yeah that's beautiful and i think it's true it's actually three it's three things um because I have a, a, a prayer sort of practice in the morning and uh, and a lot of it has to do with the sort of recovery stuff and um, a variety of other stuff that I just like to, teachers I like to follow. And But I say to myself before I get in my resentments and start getting pissed off at a bunch of people emailing me dumb shit, it's like, you know, everybody is scared, everybody is hurting and everybody is trying. Um, and I heard this, I, I came upon that a few years ago when a, a woman in a, in a meeting was sharing about her mother raising her and her mother would like throw hairspray bottles at her and it was an ab- abusive situation and, and she started drinking very young. Um, and so it sounded like a horrible story. And then she said, my mother was doing the best she could. She didn't put me in a home. She kept me, she kept me in her house with her. And like, that's what she was able to do. And when I'm doing this beautiful story and I'm doing it no justice, but like, the fact that you can get to yeah. that point of empathy and that point of realizing like the people who drive you crazy, the people who are doing stuff that you can't understand why they're doing it and they're, and they're, and they're hurting you and they're giving you all of this pain. Like they are doing the best they can. It doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they're even doing a very good job, but that's the best they can do. And when I heard that story, I think that day was one of those days. I actually had this day last a day like this last week where I just wrote down all the stuff came incredibly quickly. I was just like, this whole spiritual program just jumped out at me and uh and i started creating a, a, a sort of a homemade book some friends are working on it with me of daily so it's sort of based on daily reflections and, and tolstoy's book of wisdom and the calendar of wisdom but like 
thing every day that um, helped me get recentered. And and I paraphrased a lot of this woman's story, or a tiny bit of it, that is. And uh, yeah, and that's where I got the everybody's hurting and everybody's trying. She didn't say that, but my takeaway from that is like, and it's also important to say that everybody is scared. And when I'm walking down the street and people are annoying me and I'm getting all agitated, or when this woman brought a dog to the outside part of my favorite restaurant, I got completely, I was like, and I love dogs, but I was like, I really wanted to have that half hour sort of like away from everyone feeling when you go to a restaurant, I don't go to restaurants very much anymore, but like, so I, uh-huh. I, sort of took, I took myself out to lunch on a bad day and I sat there and this woman sat next to me with her fucking whatever therapy ass animal. And I was just like full of, of like resentment and no empathy and no sympathy. And I was like, you don't even need that fucking dog. I don't, do I know? I don't know. No, but I was like, okay, this is your no. therapy animal. And like, you probably live two blocks from here. Like you, you couldn't come to the restaurant without the dog. And the dog is walking around and looking at my, at my lamb tagine. And I'm like, and then I sort of felt myself doing all this. I was like, what is wrong with you, bro? <laughs> like you love dogs. Like, where does this kind of resentment <laughs> come from? Like, you're not even angry. You're just, there's a thing that you wanted that you were fixated on. And in the, in this moment, you're going full Karen. I, thankfully I didn't say anything. Like I did this internally. Yeah. But I was able to get a little bit to like, okay, this is, I have no idea what she's going through. Maybe she really does need that dog. Maybe she's really in pain. Like, you know what? If she and her dog want to eat next to me, like that is fine. Like what, why do I get so agitated? Why, you know? And so then I made a point of saying goodbye to the dog when I left, which made no sense because I wasn't even talking to them. But regardless, uh, something was happening internally for you and right. you acknowledging the dog was you acknowledging what was the conversation you were having with yourself The because I don't want that for me I don't want to be you know the, the, the discovery of the care, of the Karen category is is, um, is not exactly as important as, as taping feet police I think it's so unbelievably helpful to be like wow this you know often a white woman, but like, but this sense of entitled privilege, like everybody gets into that headspace. Everybody becomes a talk to the manager person at one point or another. And like having it matched, yeah. having it, having it put in front of us as an image is so helpful that for me personally, like if I ever find myself getting into that, like, you know, someone in front of you in a movie theater, not that I've been to a movie ever, <laughs> but like, you know, somebody does something mildly annoying and, and you, and you feel like your civil rights have been abrogated, like, you know, you got to check yourself and think what is wrong with me what am i doing and if i go back to like well this person is scared or hurting or trying or they're they just don't know what they're doing and they mean nothing by it um it cuts down the amount of agitation i can you know voluntarily like the amount of worry and agitation we voluntarily take on is kind of astonishing and i try every day to take on as little of it as i can and i fail much of the time but um anyway yeah we fail we fail all the time when we try to do that, but you know, I think I think about how how a statement like you know everybody's scared and everybody's trying and everybody's hurting. Right. On one hand, of course, this is uh, like an undeniable truth, you know. Right. On the other hand, I think about how so much of the way that we communicate specifically online is almost you know it's 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 uh it's the opposite of that and it's and it's 
it rewards the opposite of that. You know what I mean? Like you, this, you get your you get your space bucks for being a sniper. I like mean, that's, yeah, everybody we, shut up and and they and they put on their little scope and they figure out who they're going to take out and and the and the bucks come rolling in. It's 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 really upsetting and it's really um it's really dehumanizing and um and I think that like it's important to note that like the righteousness of your cause very often you know uh remains right uh like when you take out the 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 racist homophobe or whatever you know there is a certain amount of uh uh, it's it's easy enough to convince yourself that you are being a part of the solution or enacting a kind of justice or anything along those lines. Right. Um, and so I know that that's a real struggle, right? And I know that I struggle with that. I know that everybody struggles with this. This none none of these things are are things that like on, only the most enlightened have have figured out some way to navigate all this stuff without constantly fucking up. Right. I certainly don't consider myself in that in that bunch, you know, but. I think that no. sometimes maybe the knock against your your aphorism there that you, that I think is so beautiful and I agree with wholeheartedly is that like well are they are they trying their best um, well, and I think that that's that's, very, that's obviously yeah the um, I mean I think that the feelings that you're you're identifying are these these inclinations and tendencies that people have online are things that have been there for billions and zillions of years. Um, the online sort of uh, reward chamber uh, makes it operate a little bit differently, and it's and it's a grim, it's a grim place to see. You'll you know every few years somebody quits Twitter and says I'm leaving this hell site, and you know um, I haven't tweeted very much in the last few weeks, and I feel in, infinitely better. Um, and uh, yeah, but uh, you know you said something interesting about like are they trying? Uh, I think that's sort of a life decision. Do do I do I think it is up to me to figure out if someone should be trying harder? Um, I may have at one point thought that that was my moral purview. I I don't think it's any of my business. I I'm going to assume that someone is doing the best they can. You know, it's like in uh, in the program of AA, we pray for those who have wronged us. We get to a certain point of sobriety, hopefully. And this is galaxy brain shit that I cannot pull off that often. But the, those, the people we're most angry at, the people we have justified resentments against, um, the people we have every right to be pissed at, we end up praying for them, which sounds, uh, if, if anyone is at all ever interested in the program of AA, the greatest thing I've ever heard is a series of, series of tapes made, uh, made by these two guys named Joe and Charlie. It's actually on Spotify. I made a playlist of it. Um, they went around giving talks and doing uh, stuff and uh they're just fantastic. They explain the the big book better than anyone ever has. Um, and they talk about this this part of 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 dealing with resent, resentments and and how how completely baffling and counterintuitive it seems. <laughs> and they have these great southern accents. And and it's I think it's either Joe or Charlie. Obviously, there are only two of them. Says something like, you know, I want I wanted to kill these people. I don't want to pray for them. And yeah, and you really do get to a point where you, you know. You gotta trust me, dear listener. But like, my life is better when I pray for those people who drive me insane. And that's not a very popular online approach. And I understand why people don't want to do that. But I don't. I just don't need that level of agitation and and judgment. And um, you know. And also the thing, think- the thing about taking out the bad guys online is like, 
are you really taking them out or are you just like posting and getting some clicks? Like, are you doing anything to really reduce the amount of harm in your environment or, or somehow bring light up to, you know, sometimes, sure. Sometimes bad guys get got and, and, and sometimes that's awesome. And I, and I, and there's a huge, I mean, again, speaking of the smartphone, which I think is much more important than social media itself, like filming the bad guys is a massive historical development that cannot be understated. You can't take that lightly. Okay. That's if anything right. more important than anyone even understands now. Um, and then yeah, social media is a way to do something with it, but without that portable camera, like you don't have the, you don't have George Floyd, you don't have a ton of things, which obviously is obvious. Um, but you know, a bunch of it's just like literally freelance snipers hopping up and half the time shooting the wrong guy and like creating a really, you know, suicide inducing fucking world that nobody really needs. But you know, it's, 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 it helps to see the online world as kind of like the street, because when you're out in the street, especially in New York, you, people will tell the tallest, most ridiculous tales. They'll also tell you the truth. They'll be like, Hey, you know, that bar over there, they underpay their workers. Don't go there. Or like, yeah, th yeah, this landlord is the worst. And, you know, you've got to sift through it. And you wouldn't come in from a day on the street being like, my Lord, someone told me a tall tale today. Like you would know some guy was talking yeah. shit. You'd be like, okay. But I also talked to uh, the guy who helps Manny out. And he told me about that weird guy two doors down who's the who keeps hosting the insane parties. That's actually a real story. It ended up in the post. Um, you know, so yeah. you you... you we just have to learn to sift the stuff we hear on the street and figure out what do you, what, yeah. what lead do you follow? Or you're like, Oh, that's just, you know, that's just Ernest. Ernest is always saying something like that. You know, there's a woman who walks up and down the street. We call her backpack girl. Um, she's a fully grown woman. So we should probably call her backpack woman or backpack. Yeah, friend. Probably. Um, and she yells all day long. I think she has a home over on fourth street and she wears camouflage and has a backpack. She's always actually pretty tidy and neat, but screams all day long. And it's usually about local politics. Um, and sometimes if I have enough time and I can follow her for a block or two, it's usually about Harvey Epstein who has a, a, an office on the corner. And she has like this very, very specific list of grievances with local politicians. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of a treat. I've never gotten to the point where I actually 100% know what she's mad about. Um, yeah. But I know it has something to do with city council. And she's a little bit like an online person on the street. She's the fusion of both worlds because I think she probably has a legitimate grievance somewhere in the soup of her manic behavior. And then there's a, yeah. a lot of extra stuff thrown in there that I can't disambiguate. But anyway, well, she is online. She's a Online, we are all afraid, and we are all and we can become and we become and backpack girl. We become we, we find been, ourselves sh we, shouting and we can't stop. It's it's addicting. There's a million things. I I I'm I always hope to be careful enough to 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 uh, throw myself under the bus here, you know, because I because right. I, I have engaged in all of this and 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 will engage in this, and it, it's really tough. Um, I, before we I. I, I, I want to go like five directions with you because I'm sure. enjoying speaking with you so so much and sure. I have a million thoughts each time. I love directions. What I want to, I for let's let's stick with one. We'll stay sure. sort of on the AA thing. I'm curious if you if it's not is if it's if it's like a personal thing or if there is a personal element to it where you're like I don't want to get into that with you, man. I completely respect it, but 
I'm curious oh. uh, if you use the term. I mean, do you do you have a do you use the term like higher power or greater force or God or do you, do you name it? Do you have it or you know again? If I'm, it's too personal, tell no, me to, no, no. Tell me to buzz I'm, off. I'm not. I made a decision because you know people know my name, so I use that as as much as I can, and so I talk about everything that I can just to make someone else feel like maybe they can get the help they need. Um, so that's that's yeah. a decision I made. Um, you know, as somebody once said, like, I don't really have the luxury of being anonymous. So I, um, I think a lot of myself 10 years ago when I was really suffering and I, if I had known me, I would have wanted to know, cause I couldn't find anybody in the program. So I sort of just turn on my little, you know, police light and, uh, well, not police light, but you know what I'm saying? I turn on my little rotating strobe light and try to get people to, you know, feel a little bit better. I, you know, I use the G word all the time. Um, which is funny because God is for me, not a person at all. It's not a personified thing. It's a, it's a river of fire. It's a force that flows through us. Um, I understand mm -hmm. with personified deities, but for instance, in the I Ching, you don't have a deity. You don't have characters. You have largely natural forces like the wind and the water, very big crops, armies, lots of armies. And sometimes army, army fellas, emperors, but, you know, there are no deities. And, you know, the Bible is built on these, these characters, these fellas. And I'm comfortable talking about God because it's also convenient for just the way that language works. And, yeah. and I think psychically it helps me and a lot of people to think of, of God sort of personified, but if, if I'm being completely straight up about my spirituality and how I see things working, it is actually important for me to, to undercut that and say, it's absolutely not a person and absolutely a, a force that neither cares nor doesn't care. Like God is indifferent to all of us. God is just what is, um, God is the truth. Yeah, in any God is what's hap God is what's happening. The truth in any given situation. Yeah. yeah I, I, I think, I, I think I Jung, Jung says something like that. Like God is the truth. God is what is God is reality. Something like that. And I, and I tend to be more and more a young person as I get older. Um, yeah, God is very, very central to, has always been central to how I, how I think. And before AA, I just, I talked about it very superstitiously. Like if I didn't do X, God was going to do Y. And my friends would sort of tease me and be like, oh, you're a Christian or this and that, which I'm not. Um, but now I have a sort of a unified way. I just came from a two and a half hour prayer workshop, which with most of my home group, which was completely fantastic, like really one of the best things that's happened to me in, in, a, in a very long time, but that's, I'll skip over that, not because I don't want to talk about it, but just in, in the interest of time, I don't think you guys want me to break down the 11th step in, in great detail. And no, if you, okay, if you but... do hit me up and, and I will gladly take you to a meeting, we can rap about it. <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, uh, years ago I interviewed Will Oldham and we were talking I, and I, and I noted Will. that, you know, God is, God is like a, a constant, right? Like in his songs, he's always talking about what God's doing and, and, uh, and I think, yeah, like we, we, he hit on something that I think was very similar where he's like, yeah, you know, God's just a really helpful term for describing yeah. that, which is so much beyond us, you know, and it's everything. And it, and it, and it's, and it's like, I think in a certain way by, by having a, a kind of way we can talk about the universe and give it, give it a name, you know, we name things in order to have some sense of what to do with them. Absolutely. You know, I mean, this is just absolutely. And so it's and so it's really crucial and important. You know, and 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 if you don't, if you don't, if you aren't comfortable with the with the term God, and I uh, have deep 
respect and understanding for a lot of people because there's many years of my life I certainly would not have wanted to oh, use yeah. the G the G word Absolutely. you know but yeah it's but uh, you know having having some sense of it you know and having that especially on a poetic level right because on a poetic level it's 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 really very helpful and I think you know uh, Bonnie Prince Billy records or for that matter. Leonard Cohen records or anybody, anybody who is sort of in on that trip, Leonard, you know, Leonard definitely. And, you know, and these things are, these are gateway drugs for everyone who's out there wondering where they fit in. What should they be thinking about? What should they be doing? Leonard was very important for me when I was much, much younger. I discovered the first record and I was just, I was completely blown away. I was like, who, it's it, it's so clear it's so simple i can hear every single word and the words are both very strange but also have this sense of the sacred and and you know as i was stumbling towards whatever uh, well we keep stumbling until the end i don't you know it wasn't like there was a point but i i yeah. i have always been drawn to things i grew up in a church that i was in the, in fort green that i was very much not that thrilled about the guy the pastor of the church turned out to be an abuser and uh which we didn't know at the time, but he was a very big, very big, big, big guy who would sort of menace me. And he accused me of only coming to church for the music, which is true. Yeah, but, and, yeah. I, and at the time I, I stood up to him and I was like, you're fucking weird. Like, let me just sing in the choir. And, you know, I got my first electric guitar there. And, but since then, anytime I've seen a word when I was younger and I would see a word like astral or, you know, or any mention of God, I would be like, shit, I don't know what it is, but I want to figure out what they have to say. And sometimes, you know, it's not a good record. They're full of shit. But I would notice that the things that really resonated with me had these ways of discussing, whether it's Lou Reed or Alice Coltrane or, or even Kendrick, like people who would talk about the spirit were people that, that were going after something that kind of seemed to be close to whatever it was I was trying to find, which was always, you know, I don't, I wouldn't even be able to define it now, but I was, you know, there's a line in the big book about, look to the religious people, like listen to everybody. That's one reason to use the G word is that a lot of different people have different conceptions, but that word gets you into a, a, a convenient place really quickly. So that if somebody else has a different conception of God, they at least know roughly what they mean and I mean. So if we have a conversation based on that word, we can just sort of get somewhere quickly. Um, and, and if, you know, it's like if they come up with a better, like Melvin, who you talk to, you know, he, if you ask him if he's a vegetarian, he says, that he's just never had meat, but if he wants to one day, he's going to have it. Like I'll use a different word other than God. If someone gives me a better one, I'm happy to use it because I'm not definitely not wedded to the idea of there being a male deity or having that particular word, but it's just, you know, it's the one we've used much like stereo. I have a piece coming up about speakers. Like we've, we've done so many records in stereo that all the people trying surround stuff, like it's, it's a beautiful idea, but it's not interoperable. Like we don't have enough stuff that's not stereo for that to be feasible. So like, we're going to keep making records in stereo and playing the back on stereo systems. Cause like, that's kind of what we chose. And honestly, like, you know, it's good enough. It's good enough to get the conversation going. Cause what you want to do is have a conversation it sort of doesn't matter yeah. which word you choose. It would be like me losing real sleep over post-rock. Like fine. Yeah. I get, yeah. I get it. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean, and I, I, I think the the limitations of our language are inherent. So therefore, to to really freak out too too much about them is asking. It's inviting unnecessary. Right. Headaches, and to the previous you know? topic of everybody's trying, like if someone's trying to talk to me about God and I and I get hung up on their language, it's like 
come on, they're trying to talk to me about something that matters. So like, I'm not, I'm not going to dock them points for using, or even if they get, you know, start, I don't like it when people say the Lord's prayer in meetings, because I, I don't, I don't like specific religions being part of the program, but you know, I roll with it. Mm-hmm. I used to get very, you know, self-righteous about, oh my God, this meeting is way too Christian. And now I'm like, man, fuck it. It makes them feel good. Yeah. They, they, if they feel good saying the Lord's prayer, like it's fine. It's fine. Why yeah. am I, again, yeah. it's like the dog at the restaurant. Why am I choosing to be agitated? It's fine. They're not trying to kill. Yeah. They're not trying to kill me. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, if somebody is using the term God and they are trying to kill you, you can feel however you need to feel because that's a real but the problem, thing. And the it's problem real. there is the killing. It's not the God. It's the killing part. A hundred percent. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Yeah. Well, you know, but you know, I th- I think I could probably just talk to you about all this stuff for hours and hours and hours, but uh, we don't have unlimited amount of time because I've got another guest about to come on in a in a little sure. bit. But before I leave. Before we wrap up, I wanted to, to, to briefly talk to you about something else that people have considered too Christian, which is the rock band U2. Um, I think I mentioned <laughs> to you on Twitter, you, you included something about U2 in um, a fairly recent edition of your Substack newsletter, which is oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a great, yeah, a great thing. It was a thing where Bono had done a very Bono-esque thing and um, was like, mocking self-mocking you know sort of like inviting oh, yeah, yeah, criticism yeah. and and i i was really struck by your engagement with the idea of you two as an earnest band as a band that was saying what they meant um and then maybe the way in the 90s they they almost self-consciously complicated those statements and tried right. to be ironic and tried to be all of this other stuff. So I guess what I just wanted to ask in a real basic way is like, what, what do you think about you too? It's, it's interesting. Um, I think that level of fame is so destructive and unappealing and yeah. And for a fan or someone who's, you know, I, I would say that I was very, very interested in them when they started and I was, you know, much younger, you know, they've been around a really fucking long time, you know, yes. it, it's, it's unfair to basically anyone to look at them for 30, 40 years and be like, well, they better do it again because now <laughs> having had them around for however long it's been, it's like 40 years. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not someone who's particular, I don't know that I put on a new YouTube record consciously in a very long time, but they you know they were they were if anything they are underrated in how i was there i was a you know i was a teenager starting his first band like you two had a i cannot overstate their impact on fucking everybody in every genre the idea that you could involve these kind of like effects and sort of extended you know textures in your music it's one of those things where like everyone who's ever made a record has copied you two and they don't want to talk about it and they don't want to admit it but like they changed the way that bands play and that records sound in a way that like yeah. a handful of bands, like I listen to Susie and the Banshees much more often because I love them more, but the Banshees didn't change music the way you two did. Like they're a bunch of bands, most bands I like more than yeah. you two, but that early shock of records, um, I, f- I feel like that's one of those things that people like lie about all the time. But let me, if someone was like roughly paying attention to music, they liked you two. They fucking like you too. They they're gonna pretend they didn't like you too. They liked you too, because you yeah. you two were absolutely in the the zoniest of zones for about five six years, 
And yeah. And you know, that, that I think I, I cited that track wire, like the ability, the ability to have a track extend, but also have the excitement of rock music, which is, I think a lot of people who start out with jazz or with some other kind of extended music who don't want to play rock music, they get a little bit jealous across the aisle of like, well, the rock bands get all excited. They get super visceral real quick. And, and mm-hmm. everyone, I think everybody wants to borrow something from somebody else's recipe. And you too, for a moment, were able to have this very open-ended, strange vibe, but still very much be a rock band. And they were really good live. And I was fascinated by the fact that they just had one of each. They had one bass player, they had one guitar player, they had one singer and this drummer. And like, they managed to sound massively gigantical. And and most of it was yeah. not trickery. And I saw them a few times as a right. kid. And so they do all this stuff that's that's super, super liberating for people. And even Bono's crazy sort of sincere thing. Like it was, you know, I get I get goosebumps when I hear, you know, in the name of love. Um, but then I think in some ways, a very healthy way, in a very Dylan kind of way, it's like, oh, my God, this is enough, enough already. Like, we're sick of ourselves. Like, who would want to keep listening to this and they start deciding that they're a, a dance band and he wears the goofy glasses and you know the music is you know i i didn't at that point i i was more just not paying attention and i would be in the shops buying whatever you know portishead or something and then yeah or like uh, the stone roses and i would see the the these u2 12 inches and i'd be like what are they doing and then the dj would play one of them and i just think I was like, okay, so they're into rave. That's, I mean, good taste, but like, I don't think I want to hear these guys do that. And and I just, you know, yeah. I, I didn't pay attention again for a long time. And then I was seeing things about tax havens in Ireland. And I was like, oh man, once oh, again, yeah. everybody, everybody becomes the thing they hate. So it, it's, and it's easy to, but the, the one thing I would say is the, I, I found, because I was researching that quote, I, I drilled down and I was like, I'm not going to be lazy. Let me go find, let me find where they actually said all this stuff. And so the guy who, I don't remember his name. He's awful. Sorry, fella. You, you're a terrible podcast host. You're, you're unbearable. Sorry. Um, that guy, has a, the, the two of them, uh, The Edge and, and Bono, it's a really, really awesome, charming, long thing. Hearing them talk about their entire career from being kids to now, really, uh, it really kind of converted me back to to loving them and uh and the amount of humility and humor they have over the whole uh process is is kind of awesome but you know i'd i'd be hard pressed to think of a youtube record that i could put into any playlist i listen to now like what i listen to is so different from youtube but yeah i kind of i kind of want to i mean so many bands you know curdle and you get you get fucking eric clapton brian ferry you get like people who turn into genuine monsters and like that's not you two that's not that's not you two despite the fact that i don't like the last however many records they've made you know maybe going on 20 years now of not really liking the u2 records that come out um a couple good singles yeah sure sure yeah absolutely I, I, i don't know i find my i just i i was interested in that in part because I love that, like, the Mekons and the Fall, like, made fun of U2 in songs, and I've listened to those lately, and I love both of those bands, and I love... Yeah. But I also love U2, and I think about what U2 meant to me when I first started listening to music really seriously. Right. And I'm I'm struck by the fact that U2, for a long time, even on those 90s records where they are playing with, like, ironic detachment and humor and... 
sure. evasion and Dylan-esque, you know, character creation. Regardless, for a long time, and even now, even now when I don't like the U2 record so much, almost impossible to feel like they don't mean it. You know what I mean? And there's something about yeah. that that is so interesting to me and so much it goes beyond the miracle of Joey Ramone feels goofy as hell to me and I would never in a million years want to really like dig right. in on that and yet I'm like I think oh, fuck yeah Bono thank I, you that, thank you for doing it I think that makes a lot of sense the time when I got very hung up on this exact question um in the 90s and I started feeling like I had outfoxed myself the band was go had just gotten going so it would have been like 90 91 and i was a little bit freaked out by some of the layers of detachment and strangeness i was seeing in indie rock and i wasn't feeling very connected to my peer group yeah and i thought about this question of just not being so self-conscious and, and wound up with how we looked and i started listening very deliberately to modern blues like um like oh, Coco boy. Taylor, a bunch of other, but some people have forgotten yeah. now, like guys wearing terrible shirts, posing with a Telecaster on the cover, like people who just absolutely weren't doing anything other than playing music and they weren't trying to reinvent anything. Like a lot of people on Alligator Records or Rounder or uh, like kind of Robert Cray type stuff because I, I, I felt like I had exhausted myself trying to figure out what intention really was. And I thought, okay, perhaps unfairly, well, not unfairly, because I actually really love, I really love the blues and I love the sort of trance state you get into. I've been listening to a lot of Magic Sam recently. Like when people, oh when, when it doesn't, when it doesn't matter at all what the changes are, what the lyrics are, because it, it fades, it fades into the background and then you just hear the singing and the playing and it just becomes this like long ribbon of, of sort of emotion. And I, I still find myself getting into, into places where I don't want to think about when I'm feeling at all and and like i love to go see jazz quartets that i know nothing about i just show up and and i just feel them playing together and that can be an incredibly beautiful thing and i think the point you're making about you too is is genuinely central is is that for people who listen to also to music only sort of intermittently and you know only have three or four records which is a perfectly good way to live like it is it is helpful to to say to think well i'm in a really terrible or i'm in a really great mood you know this band you too they seem to they seem to mean it in a way that i can get access to quickly if we're talking about getting access to things like so i think it's i think it's great that they do what they do and when i was hearing bono make fun of himself i had this funny moment where i was like well other than the tax dodging thing like what are we mad at bono about like i couldn't i couldn't you know, he's not like Ricky Gervais saying like awful things about people left and right. I'm like, why are we mad at? No, I think Bono? he's. Yeah, he maybe a little too chummy with George W. Bush for my taste, but yeah, I agree with. Yeah, that, I, that, I think did, I that sucked. That sucks, but but, did, but, did, I, but did, I, was he was he palsy with him or did he just show up at a dinner or something? I, I don't remember. I, to be honest, to be maybe honest, maybe they recorded neither, neither a record. Do I. I don't know. <laughs> they did. They did a split single. It was a split They're seven inch. Brief yeah so brief. yeah <laughs> um sasha it's been an absolute blast hanging out with you oh same
Sasha Frere Jones here on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce the show. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton, and we are executive produced by Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly Aquarium Drunkard show every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. PST on Sirius XMU. If you dig transmissions, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Spread the word. It really helps new folks find the show. If you want to get in touch, uh, you can do so by by emailing me. You can find my uh, email address at Aquarium Drunkard. Uh, it's just my social media handle, Jason P. Woodbury at Gmail. Uh, get in touch if you want to share some thoughts. Sometimes you throw this stuff out into the uh, the vast online web and you don't always know if it's resonating with people, but when you send me a note, it definitely lets me know uh, what's connecting and what isn't. So get in touch if you want to share a thought, if you have a correction or something like that. I do my best to acknowledge that stuff. Um, But uh, mostly, I just want to thank you at this point. If you're still here, it's because you're you're, uh, one of those rare folks who lets it play all the way to the end of the episode and uh that is a real cool kindness of of, on your part so thank you so much for that uh next week on the show i'm really excited we've got liz lemire and jared artrod um who joined me for an awesome conversation centered on alan vega we're talking his solo work we're talking suicide we're talking his general artistic outlook um, short of having Alan himself on, which is of course impossible, uh, given that he passed a few years back, uh, you know, I, it was such a, th- a thrill and a treat to sit down with those two, uh, who knew him so well and really get some insight into his life and work. And I, uh, really enjoyed that one. So that'll be next week available wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Um, drop me a line if you want to get in touch and if not we will speak again next week this transmission is concluded